He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host, joined by the rest of the Munson's, and I want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. Starting with Rigby. Yeah, we're trying a new recording setup tonight. Uh, we'll see how it sounds in the final version. Tonight is a recall election in the state of California. Very exciting night. Uh, not really, but... Just, just uh, hopefully it'll make the political ads go away. So I'm very excited for that. Also excited to talk about David Spade. James. I don't know how to share this information with you guys. And I don't know if you want me to get too in-depth with it, but I have finally watched Kingpin. Whoa. Ooh. <laughs> Ready to give my thoughts. You guys let me know when. Let's hear it. But the one that made me like audibly crack up is how much of an asshole Bill Murray is when he says, like, the world's a small place when you got great tits or something like that. I, like, burst out laughing, dude. <laughs> yes. <laughs> dude, that's the best scene in the movie. When he when he sees him in, the sees him in like, the hotel cafeteria, it's so funny. Just a magnificent <laughs> asshole. Case. Not a ton, although I had another weird musical conversation the other day. I was talking with somebody, and they told me that their favorite music was the 40s. And I felt really stupid because I was trying in my head to think about who the new band was called the 40s. Yeah. And like what their music sounded like. And then I realized that she was talking about the decade of the 40s. And I was like, oh, I love the 40s also. It's great. I had to go in afterwards and listen on Spotify, the top 50 songs of the 40s. What a bizarre answer to that question. (laughs) (laughs) So bizarre. I will tell you a toe tapper. The uh, Andrews sisters, they <laughs> sang a great song called the Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy. I can't stop listening to it. <laughs> it's like the song at the end of uh, Jeepers Creepers. Like, that's a 40 song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Jeepers Creepers. Where'd you get? Like, that's a 40 song. That's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> that is just a bizarre answer to that question. Yeah. That's so, I've never heard anyone say it. <laughs> um, so Dan is a high school English and film teacher. And he has the dubious distinction of knowing Craig Case for the past 20 years. He joined us previously for four different episodes, Chris O'Dowd, Tim Roth, and a very brief appearance for Willem Dafoe, uh, making him the only four-time guest that we've ever had on the show. Welcome back to the pod, Dan. Awesome. Thanks a lot. This is awesome. Hey, buddy. How's everybody doing? Great to see y'all. This is great to be back the fourth time. Hopefully, we'll get it right this time. We did not get it right the other times? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I haven't gotten it right. I'll, I'll put it that way. What episode were, did you were you on the last? Big Dick Defoe. Big Dick Defoe. Defoe, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Dan, you've come into some good ones then. <laughs> we need that Brazilian crew back that Dan carries. So I'm excited to have our Brazilian numbers back up. All right. Birthday, September 23rd. Dan's going to jump in for us. Let's see what he's got. All right, Jens. Here we go. Anthony Mackey. I'm going to go 43 for Mackey. 38. He was recently on our wheel. He was. I'm going to go 48. I think he's old. 41. Eight Mile was like 20 years ago. Yeah, well, Mark has it on the nose. He'll be 43 today. Wait, got one. Good job, Rippy. Next up, Jason Alexander of Seinfeld fame, Tony award-winning actor. I love Jason Alexander, but he's looked old like his whole life. 
Yeah, the hairline doesn't help. Yeah. He has hasn't had hair since he was like 30. I'm going to go I'm going to go 64. 57. I'm going to go young with 54. 60. 62. Damn it. Ooh, is that is that James. me? Winner. James, that's James, nice. I think. Me and George. Get your chicken dinner, kid. Yeah, and Mark is abstaining from the Springsteen one. Behind my left shoulder, I actually have a Springsteen poster, so I know I'm obsessed with him and I know his age. So I'm going to recuse myself from this one. Oscar-winning composer of Streets of Philadelphia. I'm going to go 70. I think he's old. 70. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're close. Uh, 60. No, I'll go 71. I'll go over just to be nice. Son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm going to go 65. 65. James, he's 72. <laughs> oh, God. You get prices right, Craig. Great-looking 72-year-old, uh, that for sure. He sure is. Happy birthday, gentlemen. <laughs> The five actors we threw onto the wheel for episode 45 are Hugo Weaving, Elizabeth Moss, Bing Rains, Brittany Snow, um, but none of them matter because it, the wheel has chosen David Spade. David has about 80 credits, believe it or not, on his roster. And it, as I put in the, the show notes, lots of crappy films and recurring TV characters. That's my opinion. Hey, don't try to sway my mentimeter <laughs> score this early. I in the clarified it's my opinion. You said that and lightning struck <laughs> next to my house. I swear to God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> actor trivia is where we usually start. James tends to have some really good stuff, and there's a lot out there about David Spade, so I think he has no lack of content. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, Dan, you know how this goes at this point, but quick refresher. I'm going to read three facts. Two of them are going to be about David Spade. One of them is going to be about a cast member of the Fast and Furious franchise. You guys have to guess which one is which. So fact number one, he was a spelling bee champion. Fact number two, he bought a car with the money he made off one of his earlier roles, only to have the car stolen an hour later. Fact number three, he once agreed to let Sean Penn tattoo him in exchange for an interview. <laughs> Those could all be true. All right, so I think it is going to be fact number two, and that is fittingly about Kurt Russell, who played nobody in the Fast and Furious franchise. Which is a character. Mr. Yeah, nobody. Very, very important character. I think three is the lie. I just don't know who the Sean Penn interviewee would be. Why don't you ask 2001 Sean Penn? I am saying. <laughs> Went home empty-handed, right? What I don't know. Uh, Jason Statham. Why do you go home empty-handed? One of you guys please explain. <laughs> why? <laughs> Cut off the recording, Craig. <laughs> I don't understand. James is lying about fact one because that was actually me. I won a spelling bee back in third grade, and I was maybe an extra in Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> really? You're just bringing that up now, huh? Congratulations. Just stumbled onto set. I was like Seth Green in half of his cameos. Kyle, is that true? Yeah, I won a spelling bee. I wasn't on set, but yeah. <laughs> third grade. It beat all the fifth graders. Oh, wow. Third grade. Yeah. Badass. I'm going number two is the lie, and it was Michelle Rodriguez who had that happen to her. That is a good guess. I'll just go in order here. Fact number one, he was a spelling bee champ. That's actually true. Uh, David Spade's actually apparently a pretty intelligent guy. He was also a member of the school chess club, went to the state finals and is a member of Mensa. And I remember that being for smart people, but I honestly, I don't actually know what Mensa is. Yeah. So I put that there, but I don't really know what that means. <laughs> 
I can assure you, none of us are members. Okay, fair. Yeah, oh, well, I knew that. I knew that. <laughs> Fact number two, bought a car with the money he made off of one of his earlier roles, only to have it stolen an hour later. True. He was an extra in Police Academy 4. I watched the scene, and it is like the most extreme nothingness. Like, we just threw skateboards into this movie. Made six grand off of it. Bought a Honda Accord, man of my own heart, buying a cheap car like this. <laughs> Car got stolen an hour later, and he had to borrow money off of Bobcat Goldthwait to buy the exact same car. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Fact number three. Honestly, when I heard this, I had to include it. Also true. So they're all true. Every fact I read is true about David Spade. Bastard. (laughs) He once agreed to let Sean Penn tattoo him in exchange for an interview on SNL. Well, he said, I'll do the interview only if you let me tattoo you. And David Spade's like, okay. And so he got a tattoo of Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes on his arm from Sean Penn. And then they did the skit. Of course. Because he was like so desperate at that time to be like in the stardom. He's like, hey, I had to make a play. And so he went for that. I'll desecrate my body to get you on. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Well, you cheated a little bit, James, but fascinating guy. I mean, how could you create a lie, you know? Yeah, I mean, there were so many that I even had to leave out. You learn something new every day on this in this world. Who would have ever guessed that Joe Dirt had the uh, <laughs> was in the top two percent of IQ scores in the world? All right, snapshot and box office history. Case, okay, so what have we got? So in the last few episodes, uh, we've had some actors with some really extraordinary box office numbers. Well, this episode is no different. We also have extraordinary box office numbers just <laughs> on the other side of the tracks, if you will. I don't think it'll it'll surprise anyone that he ranks really low compared to the other performers we've had. His highest performing box office movies actually end up being the three Transylvania movies so far. That makes sense. That's the only thing that saves him in terms of the box office numbers compared to other people. So the only comparative metric that I can look at that he's in the top half of our actors in domestic box office gross. <laughs> <laughs> Making some money That's at it. home. Decent money. Most of the money that his box office comes from is, is going to be domestic, which is no surprise. You know, it's still a W on the board. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. He's had a few movies that have lost some cash. Most notable one is Lost and Found being the biggest, losing nearly $24 million. I like that movie. That's sad. Yeah, man. And, and comparatively, we've had some other actors that have lost a lot more money and more frequently. So... I think the best way to drive his box office is just modest. I don't necessarily think it's the worst, but compared to some of the other heavyweights we covered, he's just not going to measure up. So with that being said, does anyone want to give a guess on where he's ranking? What episode are we on, Kyle? 45. Oh, okay. So (laughs) keep that in mind. He's 23rd in average budgets, 29th in the IMDb star meter ranking. Here's that number again, 45th in critic ranks. 44 in fan rankings, which surprised me, and then 31st and 39th in two different box office. And so you guessed it, Kyle. He comes in at number 45, dead last. I don't think that's really going to surprise anybody. I'm actually a little surprised by that. When I look through Rotten Tomatoes at all the movies for assigning categories, (laughs) uh, there's a reason we're covering Hotel Transylvania 3 and The Emperor's New Groove in two categories, two cartoon movies, yes. is because almost every single one of his movies is, is certified rotten. It's insane. All right. That is the box office side. When, it, when we first said it was going to be David Spade, I, I said to Craig, I don't think the number is going to be real good there. And it looks like I was right. They are not. So 1995 is 
that's the year we're going to use for first feature film. So before that, early days of David Spade, there's a lot. Comparatively to Elliot Page and Chris Hemsworth, the last two we covered where James and I struggle to find things about them. There's a lot out there about David Spade. He's very open, very active mm-hmm. in the Hollywood scene. So he's he's a Michigander, born and raised. So I love that. Born in 64. His stepdad got him into speaking German, coin collecting, and playing chess as a kid. So very eclectic human. His sister-in-law is Kate Spade. You ever heard of her? Yep. No big deal, right? Honestly, bro, when I first saw that, <laughs> when I yeah. first saw it, I was like, oh, so like he's related to the person who knows the brand, Kate Spade. It's like his last, I just realized <laughs> the same last name. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it until this either. That, that's he's literally related that's to the, her through, through marriage. That is the same name. <laughs> I, I remember her because she committed suicide the same week that Bourdain did. What? Yeah, it was a couple of years ago. I had no yep. idea. Yep. Mm-hmm. He is an Arizona State University grad, 1990. Studied business. He's a fraternity bro, SAE. And he got involved there in something called the Far Side Comedy Hour, which is where he started doing a lot of his early comedic work. His first stand up, he was doing at a place called Greasy Tony's Pizza uh, in the mid 80s. Awesome. Greasy Tony's Pizza. That's fantastic. <laughs> I need to go you there. You know, it was good pizza. <laughs> So as James mentioned, his first role ever was on Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol, which left HBO Max the day before I wanted to watch it, which sucked because I was actually going to watch that. But the the clip is available on YouTube. And it's fucking terrible. (laughs) It's so bad. He was spotted while performing at the Improv in LA, which is kind of what led him to getting the role. Interesting. Stand up in the early days is kind of what got him into the business. After that, he did an episode of The Facts of Life in 88, an episode of Baywatch in 89, an episode of ALF in 90. What a strange sequence. Do an episode of Facts of Life and then follow it up with Baywatch. Those are like big name (laughs) shows, though. You know, those are like the shows back then. Yeah. And he did some other smaller shows, but those are the big ones at that time. I mean, Baywatch, ALF and Facts of Life are all huge at that moment in time. Huge. But 90 is when he gets hooked up with Saturday Night Live. He's there... 79 episodes over a 20-year period. Started as a writer, um, working with Dennis Miller, via Dennis Miller to get into the game, and then went on to have his own segments, a big one being Weekend Update, and then obviously being there during the heyday of Chris Farley and a lot of these others on the SNL cast crew. That Weekend Update just so perfectly highlighted his comedic skills and angles. It was always fun to watch him on that when he was doing opinion pieces or just shitting all over people. What he was doing there was really tailored towards his comedic strengths. That really played off of his like kind of I'm like pretentious, sarcastic vibe where he could kind of talk down to whoever he was interviewing or kind of talk down to the audience and give like his quip one liners. It was really good spot for him. Yeah. Yeah. And he was involved in some of the more famous skits. Too. I mean, he's in Van Down by the River with Christina Applegate and Farley. I mean, that's top five skits of all time. And then he's pretty famous for Total Bastard Airlines. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And I I don't think it's understating that his presence on SNL was his entrance into the larger Hollywood scene from there. I mean, that's where you get get noticed when you're that involved with one of the biggest shows ever. But he also had a public spat with Eddie Murphy, and it took them years and years and years to reconcile their differences on that because he made some jokes about Eddie Murphy that Eddie did not particularly enjoy. Yeah, dude, he he was like, uh, he like roasted him during one of his like weekend update things, and Eddie was watching the show and was like, Uh what the fuck? 
<laughs> but I can't believe he took it yeah. so seriously. Like any any celebrity gets roasted. Eddie Murphy's like, you know, a superstar. Of course he's and he's from SNL. Of course he's gonna get made fun of. Yeah. Like settle down, Coolio. <laughs> like when people parody you or make fun of you, that's a good thing. I love David Spade, but I don't know that I would have gone after Eddie Murphy. No. <laughs> <laughs> Considered one of the top five comedians of all time. Yeah, it's yeah. Definitely going after a heavyweight. But over the next couple of years, small roles. So he's in Light Sleeper with Willem Dafoe plays a theological cokehead, 92. He's in Coneheads in 93 as Eli. He's a great character in Coneheads. He's just like government, like kiss ass, basically. Smart Alec, kind of the, the the typical character that you would have seen him on Saturday Night Live and Weekend Update, that sort of thing. But good small role in that movie. And then he's in Reality Bites as hot dog vendor manager in 1994. So some really meaty roles unintended <laughs> early on in his career. He's great in that little scene in Reality Bites. He's so funny in that scene. You know what life is like? It's juggling act. Okay? Mm-hmm. He's so funny in that little bit. Some quick comet relief and some smaller roles early on. But those are all big movies. Yeah. Huge movies in the early 90s there. So his first big meaty role is in 95's Tommy Boy. And James is going to talk about this for first feature film. This is a movie where... I don't think I will do it justice by kind of giving like a plot synopsis and like a, you know, a deep dive into how the story develops. I think I should just give the brief overview and let you guys tell your jokes. Cause it is a classic. And for this to be his first feature film and for it to be a movie that so many people hold in like high regard and love, mm-hmm. I think that's just the best way to discuss it. So Chris Farley is like the dumb son of Brian Dennehy, who owns like this kind of failing car company. And Brian uh, Dennehy uh, marries Bo Derek and like real quick. And then he dies like instantaneously, like five minutes in. And so then Chris Farley, who's the idiot son of this guy, like takes over the company and has to try to save it from his stepmom, who was just like a gold digging schemer. And what he does is he does a cross country tour with David Spade, who is his coworker. And it is fucking hilarious. Like rewatching this movie, it just makes me miss Chris Farley. Like he is, he is so good at physical comedy. And that's such a rare skill in movies today that like you crack up every scene he's in and David Spade plays perfect off of him as like the straight man who's condescending to Chris Farley the entire time. Richard. Were you calling from a walkie talkie? (laughs) Their chemistry is so funny. A few lines from David Spade's arsenal in that movie that I still quote to this day. Uh, One is I can almost hear you getting fatter. Uh, The, the scram Tommy, don't give him the weight room routine. That guy in a little coat. Yeah. And oh, yeah then, I mean, um, that's the classic. Picture. And then, <laughs> oh, yeah. The last one is um, when Chris Farley's like, I, he's like, your brain has a shell oh, on it. And David Spade goes, are you talking? <laughs> I love that. Oh, it's so funny. He's just like perfectly cast as just an asshole, like yuppie, like kissed ass uh, guy who's trying to move up with the company who like basically feels like he's babysitting Chris Farley in this movie. It's a perfect cast for both Farley and Spade in this. You can, they have so so much chemistry. You can tell they're like legit friends and like they're doing jokes that they've probably done privately and been like, oh, this will be funny in a movie. And it is because you could tell they like rip on each other all the time. Well, to, to return back to 100% Fresh, James, that we talked about last time, you'll, you'll remember the quote that Sandler mentions in his song about Farley when he said, the thing I miss most is watching you fuck with Spade. 
So like, like <laughs> yeah. it just seems to be a thing on and off screen for them. It's not like offensive. So it, like, I feel like it hasn't, it's aged well because it's like, it's like good natured humor. I feel like it's a big one. I think it's technically his highest rated film too on Rotten Tomatoes. Is- oh yeah. Well, that's not hard because he's only got two highly rated films. <laughs> yeah, that's that in the upper new groove. That's it. The gap is pretty wild. The critics hated this movie at 42. The audience, of course, is uh, 90. It's mm-hmm. a it's a classic. People yep. love this movie. Classic comic. He's only got two films with rankings of critic and fan over 85. Then this is what I'm of telling them. you. There was only one option for critic app. And it was Transylvania 3. Yeah, thank you. I wasn't trying to give you Transylvania 3. No, I loved it. Thank you. Well, the formula was so good in Tommy Boy, they repeated it a year later in Black Sheep. Different storyline, but same kind of concept of David Spade and Chris Farley banter back and forth. This is of the two. I didn't really watch Tommy Boy much growing up. I watched a lot of Black Sheep. Again, it's classic Farley, especially when he's trying to campaign for his brother out there and losing his mind out on the campaign trail. Similar David Spade character. Just a t- total jackass. Oh, I'm the only person in history to discover white mud. Like just <laughs> <laughs> making Chris Farley feel like a total idiot, which he is. But like, that's what they needed. And and even though it only came out a year after Tommy Boy and people probably thought it was repetitive, it's still really funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this movie got unfairly hated on just because of the fact that it came out so close. If I'm a studio, I'm doing so- I'm doing anything I can like that first one so Mm -hmm. it makes sense and i think this one also holds up every time i've watched it i've laughed so that same year he crossed over with our boy gary cole in a very brady sequel he plays sergio the hairstylist a year later he's with joe pesci in eight heads in a duffel bag he plays character named ernie who is a sarcastic med student in a movie that has god-awful ratings but i didn't think it was as bad as the ratings make it out to be it's got its funny moments. It's whack. It's wacky enough. Yeah, it's wacky. Yeah, it's a quirky movie. It's so wacky. I mean, the plot is just wacky, but it has a lot of like Diane Cannon's in it. Chrissy Swanson's in it. Chrissy Swanson. Yeah, it's got and Joe Pesci obviously is the lead in it. So it's got some big hitters for sure. He, his character is basically kidnapped. He thinks he's going to die. So he's just doing everything he can to help Joe Pesci, just hoping that Joe Pesci won't kill him the whole time. A year later, he's in a movie called Senseless, uh, Wayne's Brothers. I don't know how to describe Senseless. He plays a cocky frat boy with a rich daddy in that one. And it's kind of a stuck up character. And he does that well. It's just a really odd movie. Yeah, this came out like a few years before Scary Movie, but like right around the time that The Sixth Man came out with Marlon Wayans. I remember really liking The Sixth Man, but I never saw Senseless. The plot of Senseless is he gets into Wayans, gets into like this trial to take this thing that improves his senses. And he all of a sudden becomes amazing at everything, including hockey. Like he wants to play hockey and he finally, he has amazing reflexes. So it sounds like Limitless with Bradley Cooper, basically. It is. Yeah. Just comedic. Spade does a good job as this cocky asshole who's trying, he's competing with Wayans to get the job at the, at the investment firm or whatever it is. So he creates some good uh, tension between uh, Wayne's character. Same year plays an eclectic Ranger Frank in the Rugrats movie. I did rewatch this. How was it, man? It was nostalgia. I always loved the Rugrats, so I actually didn't mind it. I was afraid to go back and be like, oh, it's trash because I love the Rugrats growing up. <laughs> and it wasn't a nothing voice role. It was a small role, but he's like a, his character is very hyperactive and nervous and has a lot of anxiety. So he's not, he didn't just phone it in for his tiny role. 
Usually, anytime we start with a sigh, it's never something good. So I was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why I was concerned. Well, it's just I didn't envision rewatching the Rugrats movie here in 2021. But of course. Here I am. Yeah. But I love the Rugrats, so it was fine. And then 1998, his first comedy special, David Spade, Take the Hit. That is, I think, available on HBO Max right now. Yeah. I watched it. It's, yeah, it's exactly what you'd expect from David Spade. Yeah. But there are a lot of references to his stand-up and other things that he does. Like he talks a lot about how his grandma had the hots for Brad Pitt um, <laughs> during that. And that comes up later. And there's there's enough another reference I'll make here in a little bit. But big enough eight years into his SNL run to get his own comedy special at that moment in time. That's huge. Yep. And I think it was an HBO special. Mm-hmm. At that time, that was the gold standard in comedy specials. I mean, this is right when Chris Rock is pushing out all of his specials right here. Late, mm-hmm. late 90s yeah. like this. So, Highest critic score is in 2000. And that is going to be Dan Craig, who, as our guest, is taking what would normally be my review. And he snagged The Emperor's New Groove. And thank you for that choice. <laughs> Not a choice. Yeah, I had never seen this movie. Well, there you go. We yeah. did you a favor. There we go. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. Blind <laughs> spots. It is one of the illustrious two, okay, in which they, uh, the Rotten Tomato score is above an 85. This one scores an 86%. Okay? Um, and it comes at a weird time in Disney movies. This movie was considered a bit of a flop when it first came out. Cost $100 million, only made $163 million. And it, like I said, it comes at a weird time because movies that Disney is producing at that point you know, are, you know, the big, like Mulan is two years before this. They're like big, you know, splashy, epic films. And that's what this one started life out as. And it things quickly turned south, you know, like I said, really fast. Sting was hired to do the music for, like I said, this big, it was going to be this big, epic, Incan story originally titled kingdom of the sun in which it was going to have like this prince and the pauper a style Mm. you know style plot and so on yeah but they quickly realized that it just wasn't going to work okay so they changed it from this epic musical to this kind of slapstick comedy because you had movies like pocahontas and hunchback and notre dame which just were not doing as well you know as some of the previous disney movies that were out there okay so sting kind of had enough okay with uh some of the producers okay on the film okay so much so okay that his wife trudy okay makes a documentary about the film and the troubles that they were having trying to produce this movie okay so much so okay that the movie itself disney bought the rights to this documentary that sting's wife made Okay. And Disney bought all the rights to it and have refused to show it ever since. They basically buried it. Wow. <laughs> Damn. Which is crazy. Yeah, okay, crazy. And the movie is, you know, it, you know, truth be told, pretty entertaining. Yeah, actually. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Spade is really funny in it. Some of the some of what the critics said about his performance, just a couple you know, a couple quotes here from Roger Ebert. A little of Spade goes a long way. But here the animation provides enough distance that I actually found myself enjoying the film, you know, even if the main character's name sounds like a discount store. That's racist. Yeah, a little bit, Matt. Yeah. John Goodman, it's really racist. <laughs> John Goodman plays his, uh, his sidekick, okay? and of that relationship, Ebert says, 
Goodman and Spade's relationship, which continues Spade's long-running tradition of picking fat guys as movie co-stars, is unusual among Disney pictures because the lead is a jerk and the sidekick is a hero. What a fucking shot at John Goodman, too. (laughs) So some of the words that keep popping back up with the reviews of this movie, Spade is sarcastic. Spade is smarmy. Spade makes others feel bad throughout the course of the film. So... You know, he's playing a role that is like tailored to himself and he's funny. Right? And the rest of the cast is really good, too. John Goodman is awesome. Eartha Kitt is awesome. Patrick Warburton is awesome. He plays Kronk, right? Yeah, he's Kronk. Who gets his own movie, you know, in the next in the sequel? Because right? this the Emperor's New Groove kind of became this little bit of a series. And there's actually three. There's another film. And then there's like a like a short television series called The Emperor's New School. Uh, that's out there. Uh, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot to like about this movie, which, to be honest, I wasn't prepared to like it. <laughs> <laughs> Completely understand that. <laughs> i never seen it either. I'm with you. I thought it was entertaining. It's not my favorite Disney movie, but it was interesting to see David Spade in such a primary role in a Disney film like this. It's a hell of a lot more interesting than Pocahontas or uh, what was the other one? Hey, that's out there. Pocahontas and Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah, like it's a lot more fun than that. It's like there's legitimate laughs hey, in this one. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's worth your time. Do you think it was too highbrow for kids? Like that because I feel like no one ever talks about the Emperor's New Group. Yeah, it kind of had like a two. like a second life once it hit you know home video. You know, because this is a time when video is still out there. Okay, so it starts to be the this movie and. The Road to El Dorado, like those are movies that kind of fell by the wayside, but they got a second life in, um, you know, in the home video market. As part of Emperor's New Groove, the original ending yeah, was going to, you know, I, I've got to read right from it. Yeah, the original ending, okay, where the main character destroys a rainforest to build his amusement park, so outraged Sting, who spent a lot of his career advocating for the rights of indigenous people, and that Disney was forced to change the original ending for fear of upsetting Sting. Good grief. I mean, hey, you're asking me to write the songs for this shit, and it's like the one thing I care about. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. It's creating problems. Yeah, and Kronk's New Groove also contended for lowest critic score. I think it had 0%. If it wasn't zero, it's pretty close to it as well. So, yeah. is it possible to be negative? <laughs> I don't know. No, it's absolute zero. That's the lowest. I think, we can I think go. zero is all you can get. I like James Stern serious. No, no, you no. can't go lower than zero. All right. He's like, I'm all fucking right, serious about my Rotten Tomatoes scores. <laughs> all right, and since it's a cartoon, I'm going to assume Rigby had no interest watching it and has not much to contribute. You would be right, and I would second <laughs> that motion. You're so intelligent. So highbrow, aren't I? Speaking of highbrow, let's take it to that next review, which is what everybody's been waiting for. Now, sadly, Warren's not here. Oh, man, I would have died to hear Warren's review of this since, you know, when we brought this podcast together years ago. It's years ago at this point. It's weird to say that. You know, we had some podcast favorites, Kingpin being one, obviously the namesake. But one of the big ones was Dirty Joe Dirt, which is David Spade's largest audience gap from 2001. Probably his most iconic role. I don't feel like I'm going out on a limb saying that in the slightest bit. Yeah, that's fair. So I'm going to do the same thing that James did earlier. I'm going to give a little bit because I think most people know about Joe Dirt. And then I'm just going to open it up because I'm sure we have a million quotes that we can add that we love about this movie. For those, if you're stuck in a hole somewhere and you've never seen Joe Dirt, this is what you need to know. 
Joe Dirt is a simple story about a young man and his pet meteor. It's a big old frozen chunk of poopy. That's <laughs> so what we call bowling bomb. But, or you could say it's a story about a man with a mullet searching for his dickhead parents and finding out why he's finally worthy of Brandy's affection. I per- That might be a better one to go with it, but the split on Joe Dirt's pretty significant. So critics, 10%. Good grief. Audience only gave it a 63. I thought that would be higher, but I mean, I guess I kind of did it. It is weird enough as I was researching this, it's loosely based, the character's loosely based on one of David Spade's childhood friends. Ooh, that's interesting. It wasn't just created out of nothing, which I thought was interesting. I wonder how that friend feels about it. Yeah, I bet that childhood friend is no longer a friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, unless he made some money, then they're really good friends. Yeah, yeah or yeah, and then he's his godfather to mm-hmm. his kid or something, if that's the case. What kind of a critic goes into this movie and doesn't at least give it some positive? Yeah. To your point, this is on Roger Ebert's most hated movies list. Oh, I know that's on. one of Rigby's, that's Rigby's like coup de gras critic. He fucking hated this movie, right? It's, Get over yourself. Yeah, he's, he's wrong. Very, very objectively wrong. Completely disagree with him there. It's the, the movie that introduces the world to Kid Rock as an actor. You can view that positively or not, depending on your perspective. Fellow Michigan, right? They're both from Michigan. Exactly. So there you go. They get the Michigander connection. Referring to his stand-up special from a few years earlier, I'd never made the connection after watching it. The Pam scene where he's spraying down the Pam, or spraying down the, the stuff there with Pam, that refers to his stand-up special where he talked about how impossible those games are when you go to fairs. So oh, he brought that over from, from that. Uh, the guy with like the oxygen tank when he walks away. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what I'll say. It's an insanely quotable movie, and I think that's going to be my lead to you guys. Yeah. Go, just jump in. What what stuff from Joe Dirt stands out? Because I think that's what people want to hear. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole rest of the podcast could be, for, for my money, Joe Dirt and Tommy Boy, we could just spend the rest of our time talking about. There's too many to quote. I would just say that I completely agree that this is his most iconic role. Warren, who mentioned in, in our text chain that he had seen this movie like 20 times, I think I've seen it more because it's one of those movies that like, it's like the perfect thing to watch when you're like hungover and you just like want to, you just like want a good laugh for like an hour, an hour and a half. Like this is like, just puts me in that (laughs) comfort zone because it's so fucking stupid, but it is so funny. You know what quote I associate with you, Rigby, since the day we met? What? When he goes, ooh, <laughs> stuck a role player up your bunghole. Yeah. <laughs> I'm only doing this because I heard that Buffalo Bob shoved the road flare up your bunghole. <laughs> I love how it, he, he keeps getting questioned about Buffalo Bob and he's like, nothing happened. What are you guys talking about? They're like, that's not what I heard. Auto Trader Day. <laughs> Keep that skull, baby. Keep that skull, baby. Like, there's just so many. There's just so many iconic lines in it that I'm glad that we can have podcasts like this to talk about it and not have to worry about the highbrow critics who hated it, you know? For a comedy movie, it's got great pacing, and it doesn't take itself seriously at all. And and Spade, he's condescending, but yet he's the buffoon. Yeah. So he's kind of taking both of the roles from from Black Sheep and Tommy Boy, and he's both of them. Yep. Classic. You end up like sympathizing for him. Like, I know that's the point of the movie, but like, this is probably the first movie in David Spade's career where any audience member had any sort of sympathy for him. So you're telling me that you are so ingrained with white trash DNA that your hair actually grows in all white trashy like that? I don't know if that's what's going on. 
But if, that, if that's what's up, then then yeah. Dennis Miller was great. Settle down, Billy Jean King. They used that radio interview to take the story in different areas, which was was a, was a nice touch. Scrub them so you don't have to. No, I didn't use them. <laughs> that was also the first movie where I heard the line "jerkin my gherkin," and <laughs> I've used that. I've used that ever since. <laughs> Bob Seger, come on, we listen to Leaf Garrett. It's probably more like this. Yeah. <laughs> I was made for dancing. <laughs> I love when that kid cuts him off when he's wrestling the crocodiles, and he's like explaining the rules and he doesn't finish and the kid's like wait what are the rules and he's like just leave me alone man and then he's like so you don't know the rules and he's like yeah you want to match my face your ass <laughs> summed up in one line is after the crocodile incident he gets eaten, he's like oh when bad pets go bad dang it's like so it's so stupid but you can't help but laugh it might it. be the most quotable comedy like i've i've ever seen like almost yeah Almost every it's line. I would is so. Good. I would say to me in my movie filmography that are most quotable. It's probably it's a it's a head to head with mm-hmm. Joe Dirt and probably Dumb and Dumber. Oh, that's a good dodgeball. There, for me I mean, I've seen Dumb and Dumber so many times. I literally know that movie like front to back. But Joe Dirt's definitely up there. I wrote down four quotes and we haven't mentioned any of them. So first one. Luckily, my neck broke my fall. <laughs> it's fucking <laughs> every time he says that one. <laughs> Snakes and sparklers, that whole thing. Again, if Warren was yeah. here, he he had it memorized. He could run that. And then Van Halen, not Van Hagar. Van I say Hagar. that all the time. When people yeah. mention Van Halen, I'm like, Van Halen or Van Hagar? Mm-hmm. Def Leppard sucks! The, the proud Italians of Long Island, what we would quote nonstop was Christopher Walken. <laughs> and him being like, you're talking to my wrong guy come. all wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you do it again, I'll stab you in the face with a soldering eye. <laughs> what if we... Hey, you <laughs> You got a weird accent. Is that from New York? Yeah, no, Kansas. <laughs> oh, man. Also, like, oh, yeah. we mentioned the music in this movie. It's a great soundtrack, too. A lot of really good 70s and 80s rock. A great, really underrated movie for the end, mm-hmm. or song for the end credits is If You Want My Love by yep. Cheap Tricks. I think Hold On Loose is in there. That song to end it. Yeah. Sweet Home Alabama. Mm-hmm. You may have won the battle, but I won't. <laughs> Covered in grease. <laughs> It's so good. Top to bottom, man. Every... Without a doubt. So we're going to proceed it straight to Dickie Roberts, former child star, which came out in 2003. And that was his first movie with Sandler producing. And he works with Sandler a lot the rest of his career. The one thought I would have on this is if the two of these were flipped, if this was before Joe Dirt, it would have done better. I don't think it's as bad as people think it is. Not even close as bad. I mean, it's the the bar was so high after Joe mm-hmm. Dute. There's actually some heart in this movie, yeah, with him and the kids. And I just thought it was like smut comedy. And I think he's hilarious in this mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, I've always liked this movie. I don't love it, and I don't watch it as much as Joe Dirt, but I, I really like this movie. Yep, it wasn't bad. And he's a lead in that one. So again, he's going down a, a route here of a lot of leading leading roles. Coming off those in 2003, big year for him. He hosts the Teen Choice Awards. He host spike tv's video game awards and he got his star in the hollywood walk of fame got the star that's a big deal dude that's pretty early to get the star yeah that is wild that is very very early that's how big joe dirt was and tommy boy and black sheep and all those and snl so he's how many years into his career 95 was his first big movie so eight years yeah eight years in his career that's wild man 
rise to stardom right there off the off his SNL background and roots. He's kind of he he's kind of like I'm trying to think of who like kind of like Chris Rock. Like he might not always have the make the best stuff, but like people just know who the guy is. Mm-hmm. Like people yeah. just yeah, his name recognition is definitely up there. It's huge, like it's huge. And SNL probably had a lot to do with it, but also just like the Chris Farley angle. Like people just associate those two. Mm-hmm. Like they just know when you hear David Spade, you know yep. who you're, his voice who is very recognizable. About, you know? A little tribute question. Out to you guys. Would we say Spade? It took Spade eight years to get his star on the Walk of Fame. Technically, his first role was in '87, but it was a lot of small stuff before '95. So we'll say '95 is a star. Okay. So how long yeah. did it take Harrison Ford to get his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? And we'll say '77 is when Harrison's starting out. Uh, did he get it after Joe Dirt? <laughs> no, I'm saying probably after like Indiana Jones, which is how much further later than Star Wars. I bet he didn't get it to like 20, 2008 or something ridiculous. The first Indiana Jones is 81. Okay, so that's pretty cool. I think Dan is misleading us. I think he got it after David Spade. I think it took him 15 years. Well, if my math is correct, uh, he got it and we're starting with 77. Yeah, it took him 26 years to get his start. What the hell? In 2003. Same <laughs> Right? That's crazy. No, that shit must have been so much more prestigious. Yeah. They got to be right next to each other. Wow. That's insulting to Harrison Ford. <laughs> Welcome to your Hall of Fame class. You're with David. You're with Joe Dirt. Yeah. Come on over. This is the live ball error. Every, everyone's numbers are juice. <laughs> How much do you think David Spade milked that? His Hollywood Walk of Fame star at the same time as Harrison Ford? Yeah, it's just absurd. Craig, this is a perfect time to bring up my little nugget that I put at the end of the show notes. Do you know who he's dated to earn the title of the Clooney of the comedy world? Speaking of milking it. Oh, yeah. Let me run down oh. his dating yeah, a ton. resume. Heather Locklear, Laura Flynn Boyle, Julie Bowen, Terry Hatcher, Naya Rivera, and had a daughter with Playboy Playmate Jillian Grace. Good grief. So I'd say he milked it pretty well. Wow. Yeah. Point being, he milked it to date some of the most attractive women in Hollywood. He has done very well for himself. You know, he's funny. We learned he was smart. It makes sense. You just add famous to it, and that's naturally going to happen. So speaking of famous, did you guys ever see his Capital One commercials in the mid-2000s? Absolutely. The whole no campaign over and over again. It's (laughs) hilarious to (laughs) rewatch. It's basically him training other staff members to tell customers no in really creative ways. Sounds like an episode of Pop Copy from Chappelle. Yeah. Yeah, basically. It's probably the inspiration for it. I am the manager. I am the manager, B. (laughs) By the way, that guy is in a movie with David Spade later that we're going to talk about. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Just to show where his dramatic career has gone uh, in the last couple of years. So 2005, he hosted SNL. So he came back and hosted, which a lot of former cast members will do. He did that. In 06, he's in Grandma's Boy. He's the guy when they go to the vegan restaurant. He's the waiter, right? Oh, is he? He's the waiter. Yeah, he's the waiter at the he, at the vegan restaurant, and they want they all want to order like hamburgers and stuff. He's like, we don't have that, <laughs> so they call him instead of Shy Blow, they call him Guy Guy Blow. It's not Guy Blow. It's Shy. Speaking of movies that have terrible critical receptions, Grandma's Boy is like it's a, the gold standard. It is. Yeah. It really is. And then he's in the Betchwarmers as Richie in 2006, another big role in a comedy. That was the first of the movies we'll cover that I could not finish. You couldn't finish Betchwarmers? <laughs> nope. Yeah. I'm not a fan of this, only because I hate John Heater. What's his name? Napoleon Dynamite. Yep. 
I hate his character in this movie, man. I hate it. Like, it was supposed to be funny, and I just found it to be so unfunny. Rob Schneider's justification for beating up on little kids <laughs> is that he's short. Like, that's not a justification for what you're doing. Bro. Like, the whole movie, I just did not enjoy. I did enjoy Nick Swartzen. Nick Swartzen is hilarious. He's always good. Just, so we're on a run. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. He plays... I didn't make this up. He plays transvestite groupie. I don't think that's probably aged very well. That whole movie hasn't. <laughs> Just so we're on the same page. Hey, it didn't age well when it was new. <laughs> Dan's like, nope. Came out Benjamin Button style. It was already pretty badly aged at that point. <laughs> and then another comp. I mean, these are all comedies, right? Uh, he's in Grown Ups as Marcus with Maya Rudolph, Chris Rock, a movie we've talked about numerous times with other episodes. Which grown-ups is it that has the party at the end where he's in love with the muscular woman? Where they're all fighting? That's yeah. uh... Craig, I can't tell you because this is the second movie that I didn't finish that we'll cover <laughs> tonight. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the grown-ups movies. I'll save my review of grown-ups too for later. We're not a big grown-ups podcast. I, I think we've gathered that. We're sad because we don't have Warren because Warren loves the movie Jack and Jill. Are you joking? And... <laughs> Uh, no, okay. no, I'm kidding. He doesn't. He he loves That's My Boy. That's like the shitty Sandler movie that he loves. But David Spain won a Razzie for his role as Monica for Worst Supporting Actress. So you can kind of gather some pieces. Have you guys seen Jack and Jill? I heard was like the worst movie ever. And after I had just not finished two movies in a row, I was like, nope. Like if those were supposed to be so much better, I was like, I'm not even bothering. Jack and Jill is brutal, and David Spade plays a cross-dressing woman at the end and earned his Razzie. Jack and Jill's got 3% of critics liked it. Just on a run here, y'all. <laughs> so let's just say he salvaged some things with the first Hotel Transylvania, plays Griffin. We're not going to talk much about it because we got a review for number three coming up, mm -hmm. but he plays an invisible character. Can we just acknowledge that 97% of people agreed on something in this country? That is so rare. And 97% of them agreed that this movie sucks. Jack and Jill? Yeah, Jack and yeah. Jill. That is just impressively bad. Finally, we can come together on something. Yeah, it's a unifying thing. He took a moment, Spade, to do some good voice acting in a good animated film. And then he just went back to Grown Ups 2. In Grown Ups 2, I did laugh when I saw Steve Buscemi dressed as Flavor Flav. <laughs> I don't even remember that. I did laugh. It did, I thought that was hilarious. That's it, though. That's it. We'll just save that for the Buscemi episode yep. eventually, which will be great, by the way. Because that man's a goddamn hero, legitimately. He's in entourages himself. I don't think nearly as funny as Seth Green, but one of you will have to tell me from your entourage days. No, Seth Green's the best. Guys, as I look at this, basically 2006 to 2015 was was just 2016, that 10 year period. Spade is just in awful films. Cause then you've got Auto Hotel Transylvania 2 is decent. Yeah. Decent ratings. But then he's in the Ridiculous Six and the Do Over. And I know James uh, watched Ridiculous Six and I think it's one of the worst movies ever made. It's god awful. So we skipped Grown Ups 2, which I also didn't finish. So that's three movies in a row of his I didn't finish. <laughs> Hotel Transylvania. I liked it. I thought that was a very yeah. good movie, uh, but he's yeah. only a minor part in it. I did not finish Ridiculous Six. It is fucking awful. Specifically, uh, Taylor Lautner. Like, mm -hmm. I understood what he was going for, but like once once I got up to like the Ridiculous Three, I was like, nope, out. Didn't finish it again. So that's the fourth movie I didn't finish. Partials, baby. I think it's Sandler literally showing off that he can do whatever he wants and still get paid. I think that's what it is. Was this the first of his massive Netflix deal? I don't know if it was the first, but it was definitely part of it. Part of it, yeah. 
early on because the do-over is a year later and that's also netflix and that had treo in it that's why we've talked about it before we talked about it on that episode a long time ago baby yep so the do-over spade plays sandler's like straight-edged buddy who doesn't really do anything scandalous or exciting in life and basically sandler drugs him and convince kidnaps him and takes him on a, a journey of excitement and it's not a great movie so but that gets us to largest critic app and that's hotel transylvania 3 so we've mentioned a few times and case is going to talk about it and we probably won't spend a lot of time on it because it's a third of an installment and he's a kind of a minor character but again there really aren't any critic app movies with david spade where the critics liked it more than audiences this is it transylvania 3 summer vacation is a uh, 2018 animated monster comedy starring the basically the Adam Sandler gang we've been we've been discussing and of course including David Spade. It is the highest grossing film of the franchise, thus making this the highest grossing film of his box office endeavor. Uh, it had a 80 million dollar budget, pulled in 525 million, has a critic score of 62 and a fan ranking of. 48, making this our largest critic gap. The movie picks up two weeks after Transylvania 2 finishes. Dracula, who's played by Sandler, is depressed. He's having all these problems. And his, his daughter decides she wants to take him and the family on a cruise because she thinks that he's been working too hard at Hotel Transylvania. And really what's going on is he's depressed because he hasn't been in love since his wife Martha had died. I don't know the backstory of this because I did not watch the other two Transylvanias. Oh, you're missing a lot. Before you go farther, what you need to know is that in the first movie, his against his wishes, his daughter marries the human. And that's what creates all of the, the, the friction in the first movie. Played by Andy Samberg, right? Yep. So they go on the cruise. On the cruise, he meets the captain of the, of the ship who is named Erica, and we later find out Erica Van Helsing, and Dracula and his crew, including David Spade, are basically being hunted by Van Helsing, which we know from all the monster lore movies. Spade plays Griffin, who is the Invisible Man, and I actually laughed a few times at it because all you see in David Spade's scenes are floating eyeglasses. <laughs> it's actually pretty funny. Spade's voice is so obvious and it's so like distinct. It's actually a pretty good character for him being the invisible man. Uh, he does a really good job with it. He's got, like I said, he's got such a distinct voice. You can immediately tell by the tone that he, how he's talking that it's Spade. My favorite part of the movie though was, was really just like trying to pick up on all the, on all the big named actors and, and actresses in this movie. And as you hear their voice, like, oh, I, I recognize that person. And then looking them up and, and figuring out who it was. But everybody from the from the Sandler crew is in this. The movie follows the very formulaic path as all as most animated movies. Bright and fast graphics, really catchy soundtrack, which is highlighted in the showdown at the end of the movie where Van Helsing gets into a good DJ versus evil DJ battle with Andy Samberg and Dracula. It's whatever, right? It's not awful. I'm sure people that are more into animated movies and, and that type of tone would, would enjoy it. But the movie's got a fun cast. It's just not my flavor. And I would definitely fall on the side of the fans on this one and maybe even a little bit lower. Going in the 40 range. Yeah. Bold yeah. statement. It, it took me three sittings to watch this movie. So basically, Craig said that the one movie that is Critic Gap shouldn't be a Critic Gap. It should just be shite. 
should just be another rot certified rotten movie you get exactly what you expect with the hotel transylvania movies i don't think it's complicated no it's fun sandler's voice works actually pretty solid for that character and yeah it's a fun movie it's just not my flight a lot of monster hijinks exactly yeah let's transition to something that apparently is rigby's thing and that is the lowest critic score father of the year coming in clocking in i believe at zero percent on rotten tomatoes so it sounds like it's well earned on the netflix side yeah it's a big fat zero Rigby, let's hear your review of father of the year did you say zero percent zero out of 11 reviews zero i think it's um, uh, our winner all right still i mean that's that's a lot of reviews with not one positive one so oh okay uh, Father of the Year is a 2018 comedy starring our boy David Spade, uh, Nat Faxon, and Joey Bragg and Matt Shively, who I had never heard of, but they play the sons in this movie. David Spade plays Wayne, who's a drunk, poor, and inappropriate and underachieving dad. And he plays uh, the dad to a guy named Ben. And Ben has just graduated college and he returns home to visit his dad. And after a pretty hilarious moment involving... <laughs> A naked, a naked David Spade in the back. First of all, did anybody see this movie besides me? Fuck no. I did. I watched it a while ago and I unfortunately had to rewatch it because yeah. I wanted to re-experience the trauma. So after a pretty hilarious moment involving a naked David Spade and the back of a pickup truck, one of the few funny moments of the movie, I will say, Ben and his friend Larry go to Larry's house and visit his father, played by Nat Faxon. Nat Faxon's like the complete opposite of David Spade. He's like mild-mannered. He's a stiff. He's a stiff. That's a great word to yep. describe him. So after they, the two sons go out for beers and they argue kind of a, in a playful way, like whose dad were winning a fight. And um, that argument somehow gets back to David Spade and Nat Faxon about the theory is that the sons don't have any faith in either of the dads. Basically, one's like a drunk and the other's a stiff. So like who would win if they got in a fight? And it turns out like that motivates the to dad to like actually take that seriously and to train for a fight, which kind of was weird because the fight never really happens in the movie. It's like, well, it's like the build up to it and like all the stuff going around it. But I was kind of disappointed that like that, like, I feel like the premise could have been a lot, they could have done a lot more with this premise. So I was kind of disappointed with that. I'll say it's a typical happy Madison production. It's like a lot of gross out humor, uh, a lot of slapstick physical comedy, the whole works that you would expect from a Happy Madison movie, especially one that went straight to like Netflix streaming service. I would actually call it like a knockoff of That's My Boy, which we talked about earlier, because David Spade has like a terrible, he's kind of similar to, I think his name is like Ronnie and what's, whatever Adam Sandler's name in That's My Boy is, like a drunken Boston dad who like, you know, never did anything with his life. Like that's kind of what they're knocking off on this. And which is amazing. Cause I don't think that's my boy should ever have. I, I didn't know that was a movie that was capable <laughs> of having like a knockoff version of it, inspiring, inspiring. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so that says it all right there. Even though Spade is top build in this, he's actually one of the least funny parts of the movie. Unfortunately, even though I really, I do like David Spade and I'll probably end up giving him a higher score than you guys do. I think the comedy in this movie comes mainly from the two sons just because Spade's Spade's character grows pretty tired throughout the movie and his accent's just really bad. He's got like two funny scene, two funny lines in the whole movie that I kind of laughed out loud at. I had a few pretty hard laughs, but wouldn't watch it again. And I definitely wouldn't recommend it to anybody. I think it earned it 0%. It's pretty awful. It's very forgettable. Not that it's like problematic, it's just very forgettable. Yeah, I mean, I made it through the whole thing, but... <laughs> More than James could say for a lot of his. Zero percent. I don't think we've had a zero percent lowest critic score yet, so that's that's a win. 
a new a new moment in Munson's history. Okay, so last couple of years of film before we get into TV, because he's done a lot of TV work. First off, 2018, he's in a small indie drama called Warning Shot. This is the movie I mentioned earlier that he was in with Guillermo Diaz, the guy who said, wrap up with that gavel B from Chappelle show. You know, I am the manager. Hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's on Tubi. It's not great. And he he plays a kind of like a mafia type. Kyle, I didn't hate him in this role. It's very different. And so it's a little bit disorienting, but he's isn't he like the son He's basically managing the henchmen who are who are trying to get the land the land rights to the water. It's not a great movie, but he's not awful in it. I, I was pleasantly surprised to see his take on that character. I will give him credit for trying something different than what he had been doing for the past decade. So I'll give him that. Mm-hmm. Twenty eighteen, you can judge him accordingly for this. Do you guys know who Bad Baby is? I do. James, how how did Bad Baby get famous? Enlighten the crew. Enlighten our listeners. Uh, you might know Bad Baby from the episode of Doctor Phil where a mom brought her daughter on because her daughter was uncontrollable and the crowd agreed with the mom and started to like chirping the girl. And she said, Oh yeah. Why don't you cash me outside? How about that? How about that? Yeah, I know that. How about that? And she became fucking viral and became a rapper afterwards. Became a rapper. (laughs) (laughs) One of her most famous songs is called Gucci flip flops. And David Spade appears two thirds of the way through that music video. It's pretty funny. He shows up to her door trying to deliver milk it's like an old style music video and he's like oh is your mother around he's like what motherfucker i want your milk and he's like i think i found the wrong house (laughs) he's like after she shuts the door and is like such an asshole he goes what a lovely child and then he just dissipates so it's like the most random cameo of all time i don't know if it's a good or bad thing he got kind of dunked on for that because afterwards he tweeted out like Oh, this was taken five minutes after her fame was up or some shit like that. Like five minutes after her moment was up. And she responded with, I thought that guy was the waiter. So let's just say 2018 must, he must've been looking for some cash to take that one on, put it that way. And then the final movie we'll talk about 2020s, the wrong Missy. He plays a character named Tim, a guy who, accidentally texts the wrong blind date to come with him on a work trip to Mexico and has to deal with the aftermath. And James has a hot take, apparently. Ooh. (laughs) No, I have the correct take. (laughs) This movie fucking sucks. It's so bad. I finished it. It's not, you know, I ended my my unfinished movies in a row at four. (laughs) There's the hot take. Yeah, I finished finished it. This movie sucks. (laughs) And he like he has a couple good one liners and there are a couple good scenes. But the reason this movie sucks is he's the straight man again, which is kind of his sweet spot. But he's playing off the most unbelievable like character. Yeah, Lauren Lapkus. Like there's no redeeming qualities about this character. Whereas with like Chris Farley, he was like a lovable idiot, you know, like. You could make fun of him, but he was like lovable with this. It's just like, she's an asshole. She's an absolute asshole. The whole movie. <laughs> you didn't think it was funny at the end when he tries to fuck with her and she ends up almost going home with vanilla ice at the bar. You didn't think that was funny. <laughs> In like one scene, they try to redeem this unredeemable character. And it is so fucking all aw- like you get introduced to her and it's cartoonish. And you're like, okay, I guess she's going to be cartoonish. And then they reintroduce her in a cartoonish way. And the next scene, she's fucking like 
jerking him off in front of everyone. You're like, what the fuck is going on in this movie? <laughs> on an airplane. I like this movie. I don't know what that makes me other than a weirdo. Honestly, the one thing in the movie I did like, I thought, again, Nick Swartzen's fucking hilarious. I think he's so funny as like yes. the creepy HR guy was hysterical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Swartzen's. Rigby, would it surprise you to find out that uh, Tyler Spindell, the writer and director of Father of the Year, also did this? Uh, it wouldn't. Even though I don't know how he, I don't know how he got another contract from a studio after making that movie. I think James is wrong. I don't think it's a great movie, but I think it's okay. It's like a 40, 40, 45. This is Adam Sandler's friends wanted to go on a Hawaiian vacation and they had to film a movie to justify it. That's what this movie is. It stinks. It's a business expense, right? Exactly. It's like, oh, let's film a movie, but we just get to hang out in Hawaii for two months. Based on the two uh, testimonies, of course I'm with James. Of course you are. Go watch it. Go oh, watch it. Dude, it's she so wields bad. like he's it's fucking so nice. Bad. It's hilarious. I, I'm, James is wrong on this one. Sorry to say. He's writing a lot of other times. Tell me the funny parts. I think her character is entertaining because she is so eccentric. The the opening scene in the movie, he's going on a blind date and she texts him that she's like in the blue dress and she sends him, she sends, she sends him to go talk to some random girl who's with her husband at the bar. And he's like, nah, she's with me. We're on a blind date. He's like, no, this is my wife. And he almost gets into a fight with him. And Lauren laughed because he's like, oh, isn't this hilarious way to start? It's a great first date. And the guy he almost gets into a fight with is Roman Reigns from <laughs> WWE. Huge. And he's gigantic, bro. He is so huge. <laughs> I so I did th- I did think that scene was funny, but like the introduction of her character at like on the plane is okay, so she sexually assaults him. Got it. And then the next day it's like, oh, and he and she fucking ruins his career instantaneously. It's like this character fuck this character. You know, like I'm not And I will give it her. to you that when he's hooking up with Molly Sims in a closet, it gets a little unrealistic because you're like, I don't know if that could ever happen, even in this universe. All right, so that's gonna wrap up the film career. So let's get into TV because he's done a lot of TV work mm-hmm. over the time. We really haven't mentioned much of it. So brief TV appearances over the years. First one of note, he was in a couple episodes of the Larry Sanders show, Great show. between 92 and 98. Great show. I agree. Uh, yeah, I don't really remember him so much in that, but it's it's that's a fucking yeah. awesome show. Well, speaking of fucking awesome shows, he was in, in an episode of Curb from 2009, so he did that as well. Entourage 2011. Kyle, you brought up Curb your enthusiasm. It surprises me he's only in one episode because he seems like the perfect character for yeah Curb your enthusiasm. Yeah, maybe just a total jackass, basically. Yeah, kind of like Ricky Gervais. Like I wish he was in more than one episode, just like. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And then most recently, he was in an episode of Mr. Mayor with Holly Hunter. But let's get into the real meaty part, and that's his recurring characters over the years. So we've got early appearances on Beavis and Butthead. He plays just some one-off characters in that show uh, between 93 and 95. And then the probably his biggest sitcom, Just Shoot Me. I guess you could, that or Eight Simple Rules are the two big ones, but he plays. He got really his only awards love in his career comes from Just Shoot Me. He got Emmy and Golden Globe noms. From 97 to 03. Just shoot me. It's great. It holds up too. That was a show that like, I remember it would always be on at like 11 o'clock at night when I was like in middle school and I would always watch it and just find it to be hilarious. And David Spade, just like a typical, he works at like a fashion magazine. So he's like just a pompous asshole in it. Right on brand. He's a photographer, right? Yes. He's either that or is like, he's like the administrative assistant for the office. But either way, he like, his job is to like keep these like, egotistical models and people in control and he's just like a yep. like a jerk three total noms for that that's really like the peak of his awards in his career uh, from a legitimacy standpoint but then 0405 
he was in the third season of eight simple rules for dating my teenage daughter after John Ritter died. That's the thing I learned as I was doing research because the first two seasons are available on ABC. I think the ABC app, but anything past season two is not streaming currently. So I couldn't watch it, unfortunately. Um, but that was a big one for him. And then just other ones, Carpet Bros, Rules of Engagement, like you mentioned, Rigby, uh, and then most recently, The Mayor and Love over the over past four or five years. So he's done a lot, a lot of recurring TV over the time to keep himself busy when he's not doing uh, shitty Sandler films. All right. that That's anything that we missed roles wise. I think those are the big ones, right? Yep. All right. Top performances. Rigby's going to have something for us. Grownups one, grownups two. <laughs> Ridiculous sick. Yeah. I hope you pulled a like worst performances list. That would be fun. General Custer and Ridiculous Six. I actually got a list from uh, ComingSoon.net, our favorite, our old trust. Oh, ooh! And this is the five best David Fab- David Spade film roles. When did it come out? This doesn't have a year on it, but um, I, let's just assume it came out over the last couple of years. Well, Joe Dirt, obviously. Yeah, Joe Dirt. Yep. And this is not this is not in numerical order, by the way. So okay, okay. film and it's only film roles, right? Yes, and we've talked about all but one of them. Ooh. Okay. Tommy Boy, obviously. Then yep, going to be on there. Black Sheep. Nope. Ooh, it's never a good sign when we struggle to name five roles. What about Dickie Roberts? Nope. That was a good guess. Uh, what's the other one we've talked about? Give me Hotel Transylvania. Nope. How about Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag? Nope. Hint. The wrong Missy. Comedy. Comedy drama. One of his first film roles. Police Academy Four. Oh, even before. So Coneheads. It's Coneheads. Coneheads. Yes. Wow. Okay. All right. So the one we didn't mention, which I kind of wish we would have because I've seen it and it's kind of like a cult comedy still to this day is PCU. Oh, I was going to say PCU. Yeah. yeah. There was a shitty version on yeah. YouTube. I didn't watch He's it because so it was great awful. I can't believe we didn't even hit that at all. He's really good there. Yeah. We didn't mention that in the. What is he in PCU? I don't remember him at all. He's like a he's a fraternity brother in that. Yeah. He's a early Favreau. That's a cult classic and it's got like Jeremy Pitt. Favreau's in it, right? Um, all I remember is Jeremy Piven. And wasn't it also Artie yep. Lang? Yep. It's got a, it's, it's definitely a, it's one of those movies that like people, it's like a zany movie from the nineties that people still talk about. That's why I like doing these top performances. Cause there's always one we didn't talk about, Yeah, which I think is good. It's good. Like, Oh yeah, we can't hit everything. And there's that one thing. Yep. Yeah. yeah, you're right. So that's the five that's from coming soon.net. So good job guys. Our, our boys. We can all agree. Joe dirt's number one. Right? Absolutely. Like I don't know. No. Yeah, it's got to be number one. With Tommy Boy a close two, in my opinion. Yeah, that's true. No, but t- Tommy Boy's not great because of him. It, he's uh, he's in Tommy a good Boy movie. He's been like the same bubble of similar role. But would Tommy Boy have been as good without Spade? Probably not. Yeah, that's probably not. But you want to take it easy? You're going to smell like a cab driver. Not that that's wrong. <laughs> Munson meter. Let's get into the scoring system. Um, the way this works, each one of us rates the actor on a scale of zero to 100 based on a variety of factors. Factors can include anything from longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, their range as an actor, awards footprint, any other talents they might have, their personal life, comedic chops, box office success, and anything else that matters to us as Munson's. This time we will start with Rigby. David Spade, we all know who he is. He's got, as we mentioned in the podcast, he's got really good extreme name recognition, longevity. He's been around since the mid 80s, you know, started getting his foot in the door then and then started making movies in the early 90s. Obviously, 
he is, as Craig mentioned, he's our lowest critic score of everyone that we've covered in our 45 episodes. So he takes a hit there. But for me, you get points when you establish yourself as like, which with him, like it's interesting because in the first part of his career, he was like the pompous asshole villain type character. And he's kind of expanded to like the, like Joe dirt sort of like drunk inappropriate type over his film career. And he's, so he's sort of crossed off two boxes there, but they're similar in a way in that he's, there's no, there's no really skill that's required to, to do those roles. I think so. Uh, he takes hits from me in, in terms of range, but uh, longevity and just overall name recognition, he he earns some points with me there. So all that being said, he gets a 71 from me. Uh, I think you guys probably know how I feel about David Spade. I, he's mm-hmm. funny in some roles, but, but as I look at my scoring system, the only area where he, two areas he excels. He excels in pop culture impact, which I almost gave him max points there. Longevity, I guess, as well. He's been around a long time. It's been busy. and then other talents. I think he's got some other things he brings to the table. He's a decent like TV show host. He does guest guest appearances and things like that. Kind of hosted his own sp- comedy specials and things like that for some different networks. So I think he's got some talent there along with the German, the chess, like just really random things that he does well. But I, I have to take into account limited awards has his Razzie. One is Razzie. We've had others be nominated, didn't necessarily reach the <laughs> upper echelon of winning a Razzie. So, oh, yeah. and he earned that one. Let me tell you. Um, I do love Joe Dirt, though. It's hard, you know, you have to take into in account like intangibles. Joe Dirt, that role basically took up the entire points that I would give there. And I find his Playboy lifestyle wildly surprising and impressive given his stature, what he looks like, and everything else involved. Yeah, he's a smooth talker, dude. Humor takes you places. He's established in some pretty big sitcoms, like Just Shoot Me and Eight Simple Rules. So I got to give him credit there. But I don't think he's a very capable lead outside of movies like Joe Dirt. I don't think he can necessarily carry a film. I think he's best when he's just sarcastic side character who appears in a little bit of the movie. Yeah, but ones that he has to be the lead, unless it's a voice acting role, I don't think he's very capable. So I'm going to give him one of my lowest scores. I'm giving him a 54. That's one of your lowest scores? Yikes. Or is it your lowest? It's close. My lowest is right. Chris O'Dowd at 52. Take, take that, Chris O'Dowd. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, Case. David Spade is is definitely one of the more recognizable names in comedic movies, especially from the, the 90s and early 2000s. and he thrives in, in roles that are small doses where he can use his snarky charm. And because of being small dose type of characters, I think he's more suited towards episodic TV shows rather than movies. Although I do find a lot of his movies entertaining and we've talked about all those. I think his heyday, even though Joe Dirt came after this, I do think his heyday was in the Tommy Boy era when he had a massive presence on SNL, both as a writer and as one of the performers, and it allowed him to really showcase his talents and, and work off of others. SNL giants, and most notably Chris Farley. I do think being one of the biggest comedic duos ever gives him a bump for me in his pop culture score. I mean, anything that him and Chris Farley did, either on on the screen or on TV, was was it was great. Uh, however, it doesn't really make a dent in, in any awards. It has not had box office success. He's really tough to compare to the other actors. With all that being said, I'm going to give him a 63. We're all over the map. I like it. Dan, you can only hit something in the 40s or 80s or 90s here. So, 
you know, to stay consistent. So our guest Munson. I hear what all you uh, gentlemen are saying, eh? and you're not wrong in, in any way. Um, so I'm going to take, you know, everything, you know, that you've said, but I'm going to add just a bit of a personal feeling about David Spade. I, my sense of humor came of age at the time when he was getting big, you know, him on SNL. I'll always remember him doing Hollywood Minute on SNL. And he had this one joke that I always loved, and, and it was something stupid and quick. He just said he was about to do a review of Chaplin, and he goes, oh, Chaplin, more like Craplin. That always just stuck. Like I just I love that. So like seeing him there and like Tommy Boy and Black Sheep and and like those are like formidable movies for me. So that also with the fact that I love seeing him with Farley, like the two of them were just like they they hit at the right time. They were funny Mm -hmm. separately, but they were so they were such a great team together. That's always gonna have a bit of a soft spot for me. So I'm I'm Maybe a little ashamed to say, you know, that the the emotional, you know, content of Spade is going to carry my score maybe a little higher than it would normally be. Okay? And I'm going to go with a 66 okay, for him. So there, got a soft spot for him. All scores are valid, my friend. All right, James, round us out. So I think his sweet spot is definitely as the sarcastic, dry, kind of condescending straight man. Yeah. What you guys have covered is... The positives that I see, his name recognition, there's three reasons why he's going to get the score from me that he's getting. It's his name recognition, uh, Emperor's New Groove, actually good, <laughs> and Joe Dirt. I, in Tommy Boy, I, he is not even close to the main reason why that movie is funny to me. Like it is, it is a Chris Farley masterclass, and he plays well off Chris Farley. And they have great chemistry, but yeah. It's just not something that I associate with. I love because of David Spade. I think he's been genuinely bad in most of his roles. I think it's <laughs> Emperor's New Groove is good and Joe Dirt is good. And I do not enjoy many others. So he will get one of my lowest scores, which is a 53. Yeah. Oh, I'm not the lowest. Yes. That gives David Spade a 61.4, which puts him in 38th place between Aubrey Plaza and Gabe Byrne. How do we feel about that? That's higher than I thought it was going to be. So fair. Love that. <laughs> and just, I, I have a feeling, I have a feeling Warren would have given him a, a, a decently decent score. So maybe I feel like that, that number might be out of context. All right. What does he have coming soon? James looks like it's, he's got Mr. Mayor doing a TV series. Um, I think we got another Hotel Transylvania. Yeah, there we go. Transformania. There you go. You might as well just mm. keep milking that cow. And then <laughs> Untitled Diablo Cody, uh, HBO TV show. Nice. I don't know what that's about. Looks like it's in looks like it's in pre-production. Yeah, so not quite there yet, but that's all I can find. And whenever Bad Baby has their next music video, he'll just tag along, right? <laughs> I don't think they're friends after they dunked on each other. I think that's the end of that. Hey, if you can pay me a, a, a nice paycheck, well, we can be friends. That's a good point. That's, yeah, that's, that's fair. That's money talks in Hollywood, especially when you're only doing two things. All right, so next episode is going to land on October 7th. We have a milestone coming, gentlemen, and that is James Long 
game effort to get his sister on the podcast. Yeah, hell yeah. I'm pumped. She's dude. coming. That's awesome. Laura is going to be with us next episode. So another guest named Laura. It's going to get complicated. That's up my here. big sister. She's awesome. It'll be fun. That's sweet. It's going to be fun. So we're going to have Laura with us. She chose one of these five actors. So I'll give them to you guys and you all let me know. Let, you know, let our audience know what you like, what you don't like. We've got Naomi Harris, Susan Sarandon, Glo- Chloe Grace Moretz, Annie McDowell, and Tommy Tiny Lister. Rest in peace. Oh, rest in peace. What do we like? What do we dislike from that list? Like looking at that list. And what would Laura pick? One, that's a great list for my sister. Two, I know exactly who she picked. <laughs> okay, save it. Save it. Let's Let's hear from everybody else. No question in my mind. I know who she picked. Okay. So let's hear from everybody else and then we'll, get, we'll finish with you and see if you're right. I mean, Susan Sarandon would be great. I agree. Su- like That's the best name that pops out of that thing. No question. Bull Durham. Yeah. Just watch Bull Durham. Andy McDowell, we get to watch Groundhog Day. And she's been in some some other decent movies too. Sex, Lies, and Videotapes. Fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Naomi Harris is a very good actress. Yeah. She's in some great stuff. Who the fuck is Tommy Lister? Dude, he's, he's Debo. Debo and Friday. Yeah. Oh, R.I.P. to the goat. My bad. He basically plays like a gangster or like a prisoner in every movie he's in. Big scary dude with the cut eye. Yep. But I would love to do Susan Sarandon. She'd be great. He, uh, Tom, Tiny was the, uh, wasn't he the president in Galaxy Quest? Yeah. That's right. Or whatever, whatever that role was. And, or no, uh, not Galaxy Quest, Fifth Element. Fifth Element. That's right. Yeah. Fifth Element. It is Fifth Element. Was Chloe Grace Moretz in, in uh, Kick Ass? She was. She's very young. What was her name like Batgirl or something? She's been in a lot though. She has. She was in Neighbors, Neighbors Two, and she was in Greta a movie I saw a couple of years ago. I did yes. not like Greta. Was good. I didn't like it. I hated her character. She made all the yeah the worst decisions. What's her name is awesome. Oh, she's amazing and everything she does. Yeah, Isabel Hubert. Yeah. She's fantastic. Oh. I don't know much about Annie McDowell, so that's the one I'd probably be most interested in just learning about her life and career. I don't know much. Two movies come to mind and they're both good. But other than that, I don't really know much else. All right, Dan, who would you pick? I mean, Sarandon is the slam dunk there. Yeah, no question. But yes, it's uh, not a bad list at all. All right, James, finish us off. What do you think your sister shows? You seem pretty confident. Yeah, my sister has always had a fascination with like young up and coming actors and actresses. And uh, it's absolutely Chloe Grace Moretz. No questions. Because like when I ask her, like, oh, who's your favorite actor? It's always like the new like it girl or it guy that's coming. I was like, always them. And she's like, oh, yeah, look at this role. Look at this role. And so when I saw the list, I was like, oh, this is a good list for her. Oh, it's definitely Chloe Grace Moretz. No question. <laughs> well, if you're listening a week from now, we'll post the wheel and you'll get to a chance to, to see if James was right. And if he knows his sister or if this whole family situation is gone. Nah, dude, she's been like this since we were like little kids. Like, she's like, you got to see this actor <laughs> in this really shitty love story called like legends of the fall. His name is Brad Pitt. You'll love him. And I was like, this movie sucks. And it <laughs> ends up being a superstar. <laughs> little did she know that he would be the biggest movie star on the planet. Yeah, right. Exactly. Heartthrob city. So as always, Laura doesn't decide. We don't decide. The wheel decides, and we'll see how it goes. Sometimes we decide. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for whispering. Now that Warren's not here, you're the only whisperer. So we gotta we gotta do it. Yep. Until I get a guess that picks it. So as we wrap things up, we want to once again give the floor to our good friend Dan Craig. Dan Craig, any plugs, wise words for our audience? It's your time to shine, my friend. 
No, not at all. Just thanks again for a great time and have a safe and happy and uh, healthy year, everybody. Yeah, Thank buddy. Thanks for coming on, man. It's always a blast. Thanks, Dan. It was great. Once again, man. Yeah, man. Um, so as we wrap up today, remember, you can always find us on Twitter at Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from David Spade? So you're going to tell me that you don't have no black cats? No Roman candles or screaming memes. You don't got no lady fingers, buzz buttles, snicker bombs, church burners, finger blasters, gut busters, zippity doodahs, crap flappers. You're gonna stand there owning a fireworks stand and tell me you don't have no whistling bungholes, no spleen splitters, whisker biscuits, honky lighters, hoosker doos, hoosker don'ts, cherry bombs, nips and dazers, with or without the scooter stick, or one single whistling kitty chaser. Well, that might be your problem. It's not what you like. It's the consumer. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? <laughs>